Welcome into the Nebraska 24-7 podcast for the first time this week. I'm Mike Schaefer, joined by my co-host, Brian Christofferson, Michael Brunts. We are here. It is game week. The excitement, the buzz in the air, everybody wondering which walk-on is going to come away with a game-winning interception this year. Who, what was the name of that kid? I don't remember. Tanner's Lab, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Brunt! Wow. You've been saving that for just this moment? Wasn't he? Uh, he was a creep guy, wasn't he? I, I don't mean, re- You're asking two people who couldn't remember his name. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Sounds like this is something you was, should know. Was it definitely Tanner's Lab? I thought so. I don't know. I, I wrote a. I tried to wax on poetic about it. Wasn't after it Kyle Skuden or yeah, something? Yep, you're wrong. Excuse, he went to Doan. What? It was. Yeah, it's it's not Tanner's lab. Is Kyle soon or something? like That's that. right. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Kassoon. Tanner's lab. Kassoon. Kassoon, That's right. His lab was the one Sorry. from uh, the transfer for his senior year from Doan. I think. I, I'm kind of pumped, even though I botched his name. Yeah. I got the first name right. I tried to do a story on. What uh, a terrible start to this podcast. <laughs> Do you want to keep going? Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> I want this I want this in there. Who's your guys' favorite obscure walk on from spring games past? We learned last week that Schaefer lost money on Jack Hoffman's run. <laughs> <laughs> did. Which I've had several people ask me about since then about whether that was actually true. Yeah. And well, I confirmed it. Uh friend of the podcast, Gary Sharp, can confirm it. So Okay. I don't know if I can think of like a walk on that. Just knock me over. But there's certain moments where I was like, okay, this is going to take on a life of its own that's completely ridiculous. And the one that always stands out of modern time is when Jamal Turner caught the pass in stride and did a flip into the end zone. And he was basically Deshaun Jackson in the eyes of the Nebraska fan base right then and there. Didn't Stu Bradley back in the day have like a really good spring game? I mean, he obviously backed it up, but I remember like he came out of nowhere and everybody's like, this guy's the second coming of Jerry Murtaugh, but she, you know, had a pretty good career. But the the 2009 spring game featured like 30 plays of LaTravis Washington at quarterback, and uh, he had a, a pretty solid day with his running back being Collins Okafor, who also had a pretty solid day. Uh, the, those two stand out to me in terms of you know guys that really got the most out of their spring game action. Them and Chris Brooks. If you remember Chris Brooks Sr. and his Monte Carlo that would drive around Lincoln, that you would always know it was his. Uh, Chris Brooks had a really nice spring game to not be followed by much in the season as well. Bobby Newcomb lived up to the hype his first spring game. He yeah. uh, took an option and went about 87 yards for a touchdown, and the the hype was on. Brian, how many spring games have you been yeah, to? Are you approaching 20? Hmm. Probably like cover. I've probably covered about 15, 16 of them. Yeah. I got to admit, I don't get excited. It's one of the. I'm not supposed to say this right now, but it's one of the things. Oh, I, I've, I've said it. It's I've one of the things I get least excited it. about yeah. of anything we do. I've but. said it's the worst day of our <laughs> job every year. And this has caused some people to bristle, both that have the same job as us and then fans who think that it's sacrilegious to say this. But. My, my favorite, What'd you say about the spring game? Yeah. Well, Scott Frost said it himself this week, so I'd, I think this should be clear. Like, I think it's an awesome event, and it's cool that it fills a stadium. He also himself said last week, I guess it was, it's more about the fans and the coaches. He's like, we've already had 13 practices. 
to evaluate these guys. Yes, you're still evaluating how they kind of handle this setting and, and things of that nature. But I do think there's this kind of misguided thought that's very real that like everything prior is built up to this Saturday. And this Saturday then tells us, okay. The story of the spring. Yeah, what really happened this spring. And it doesn't. And that's that's where the mistake is made. I'm, and people just need to recognize that and have fun with it. And it's still a cool event. But just it's one practice is what it is. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's funny. Um, you know, I think – Probably, I mean, Scott Frost mentioned it, like you said, this game, or game, this this practice (laughs) probably matters less, I think, in in the overall scheme than a lot of, than say like a scrimmage behind closed doors. Oh yeah, it does. Um, I mean, I think there's something to be said for kind of how guys deal with the crowd. What? I wanted you to say under the lights. No. (laughs) (laughs) Uh... I think there's something to be said for that. I, I mean, the kicking competition in a full stadium, that might tell you a little bit more, but, you know, it, it's it's really not, you know, any more important than anything else that these guys are going to do this spring, probably even less so. Yeah. I've, I've got another uh, name for you from spring game past. Some lore? Lore? Spring game lore? Yes. Okay. Mike Demps. Do you remember Mike Demps? 1999, I believe it was. He took one uh, like 100 yards to the house on a kick return, and it just lit people up. And, you know, he didn't end up having a great career. Chris Butler, 2000, had 118 yards. And these are some deep pulls. Mm-hmm. Joe Daly, 2004, you remember that one. <laughs> they do. Poor guy. He threw for like 895 yards yeah. against the seventh team defense. Was it was it the next year where he was blitzed relentlessly? <laughs> like Bill Callahan pretty much uh, let the dogs loose. If on you want to cl- one closer to home, I I think of AJ Bush and I feel kind of bad for him because he had a really productive spring kind of, and then he got put against the first team defense with, I believe he was with an offensive guy. I don't know. He was kind of surrounded by some guys right, that were yeah. top it, level, and it was a rough day for AJ. And so everybody in the fan base was like, eh, nothing to see there. Yeah. I just remember watching that, and like I couldn't get his footwork out of my mind. Like he was throwing, like not even with his feet pointed towards where it was going. He was constantly falling off the back foot. And you're right. I mean, he had been talked about all spring, and then that – Sort of washed away whatever momentum might have been there. Which brings always out the conspiracy theories like, oh, did coaches like want to set something up for this guy? And, you know, I don't think they. There's part of me that thinks that Bill Callahan was in on the fix with Joe Daly. Yeah. Because that was the game where Zach Taylor played out of his mind and, you know, obviously ended up being a a great 12 player of the year. A great quarterback. But I I feel like that was kind of the the little schematic push out the door that Joe Daly. you know, needed to get out. I didn't see that spring game, so I don't have a recollection to go off of on it. And then, of course, there was a spring game that was washed out. The best one ever played. <laughs> it wasn't for me. Why? Because I had to go back to the office that day at the outlet I worked for and uh, basically fill up all the pages <laughs> that were <laughs> that were set for football coverage. So I was writing like a 70-inch story about this spring game getting knocked away and like what went into the decision and it was about the worst spring game i ever had tom osborne films a, a video telling people that free val- there's free valentinos yeah. and free popcorn <laughs> yeah. 
And then there, uh, there was a big outcry because people are like, well, are they going to have the 15th practice or not? So they're just not going to have that practice, you know? Yeah. Is it Butch Hug that we, we all gathered around to have him talk? <laughs> and, like, this is the most questions this man has probably ever been asked, ever. And the serious tone in which was being taken in those questions was pretty amazing. Well, the it set up one of those really rare situations in life where Jim Cantori from the Weather Channel, the the Weather Black Angel of Death, is doing a stand up from the <laughs> Memorial Stadium parking lot, and you're like, "This is never good. This is never, never good." Yeah, I, that was uh, I released the uh, released. I found or came across the list of visitors from that weekend, and they had a pretty good crop coming in that never got to see the game. Hmm. Better basketball list that day. Well, I mean, in the sense that uh, first round pick. Yeah. Okafor. Yeah. But Super Bowl champion and Nate Gary was hanging out on the sidelines before he even had an offer. So that was a kind of an interesting thing that day. I mean, there was there was some real talent that was on the sidelines. That was a good spring game for them. It was a great one for me. The best one I've ever been to. I remember interviewing Joe Lil Okafor that night after the or he got back to Chicago on Sunday night, interviewed him around eleven o'clock at night. He's pretty tired. It was pretty obvious that he was not going to be coming to Nebraska based on that interview, but heck of a guy to have on the sidelines. Yeah, for a game that didn't get played. (laughs) All right, well, Nebraska will have one person that won't be playing in the game on Saturday, and that'll be Patrick O'Brien. And we haven't had a chance to discuss this. The news came out Thursday, roughly. Yes, yeah. I think, I think okay. so. Yeah, so that I, I thought right. I thought you were transitioning to a Mick Stoltenberg segment because he's probably not going to play. But well, I think people knew that one. Okay. Um, so Patrick O'Brien no longer part of the Nebraska program, looking to <laughs> seek opportunities elsewhere. Got a release from his scholarship. Not a huge surprise um, with the way things had headed, and certainly not after Tuesday of the prior week when. He didn't speak, and we kind of got the sense that this was coming. What do you guys make of the quarterback situation right now, ignoring potential people in Columbus, Ohio? Um, <laughs> I think it's I think it's okay, and I've said said this all spring. If if Andrew Bunch is really like a guy that they feel like, yeah, we can put him in the game and feel comfortable with. And you've got three guys. I think you could roll through this fall without shaking up your room, and cross your fingers, and and be okay. And sometimes I hear people say, "Oh, that's not enough depth," you know. And and I understand if one of those guys goes down, it's a scary situation. You know, there's not a lot of places though when you get to like the third or fourth guy at most schools where they have much going on at quarterback. So Nebraska's not in a different spot than most anybody else if, if they rolled in the fall with those three guys. I mean, heck, if people want to go back to the glory years, you know, even when Nebraska had Frazier and Beringer, the, the third guy was walk-on Matt Terman. And I'm sure most people could not name who the guy behind Matt Terman was. You know? Can you? No, I don't think I could. All right. Well, I thought you were setting yourself up for something. No, I'm sorry. I, I, nope, nope. You just made me look like an ass, is what you did. <laughs> the look that Brian just gave me was amazing. He almost took his hat off and threw it on the ground. <laughs> oh no, but I couldn't. I couldn't name who the fourth guy was on like 
the 94 team. I, I'd go, re- it's being researched right now by people who are listening and they're like, it's so-and-so, you dummy, you know, but. Well, our stats department could probably search this. I don't know. I was researching something else. What what am I researching now? Uh, the Who was the string. fourth quarterback from the 94 Nebraska team? It's not Monte Cristo, was it? Ooh, That's the name if, I thought I of, but I don't know if you would go that far back. I don't know if Monty was here yet. He might have yeah. come like a year or two later. But, I mean, that's an example of right. for one of the best Husker teams has ever been, it can get dicey at QB in a hurry, and you're not – that's just something you got to live with. I don't want to get too much into it because we'll have an opportunity to discuss it a little bit more in detail, but – oh, stats department flagging us Fourth down. guy. Yeah, uh – you got Brooke Berenger, Tommy Frazier. Can I throw a name out? I you guess. may. Was Brett Lindstrom there yet, or is he not, like later? Not he's, yet. He's later. Okay. Uh, Turman, uh, and then Jay Stare or Monte Cristo, who's a freshman that year. Ah, Monte was there. Yep. He was that true freshman, probably? Y- yes. Okay. So they had a couple walk-ons behind Turman. Yeah. Yeah. So their, their situation, you know, slightly better team, but... Their situation was one in which, you know, you had your few quarterbacks. Then beyond that, it's scary. But that's going to be true, as Brian said, for most teams. So what what are you not necessarily looking to see? But I guess that's kind of the question. I mean, with this offense, do you, do you expect it to look different with each quarterback on Saturday? Not really, no. I, I mean, I, I think they've got their system, and it's like, let's see who can run it the best. And – I, I like that. I, I you know the Riley staff always took flack for trying to fit the uh, square peg round hole thing with Tommy, and I think sometimes that criticism's a little unfair because I don't know that they had many options honestly at that point. Um, but to do that, and you want to try to win games while you're playing them that first year, but I I expect this is what we do. Let's see, you know, we expect. Uh, you know, Tristan to be able to show that he can run the ball, and we expect Adrian to be able to show he can throw it. And I'm sure what has been realized is certain guys are maybe a little bit ahead in this category than the other guy. And that's where I think it does come down to, you've heard Scott Frost and Mario Verdusco talk about this gut feel. If this thing stays that close, at some point, that's what you got to go with a little bit. It's like, who is that guy who can be a general that where he's got that little special sauce or whatever it is that separates him when it's a pretty close in the grades. Do you anticipate that you will be sort of connecting dots between the guys working with what's considered to be the ones and the guys that are going to be on the other team? Well, I, th- I think Frost said it pretty plainly that one team is going to have the guys that are ahead of the others. Um, so I, I think – just based on who the quarterbacks are around, you're going to be able to figure out pretty quick who they consider to be. I I, I wouldn't be surprised if they have guys switching teams, but I wondered about that too. Could you see a situation where Noah Vedral is working a lot with the guys that aren't going to be considered the ones as to, I mean, not necessarily tipping their hand, but then you're getting a more accurate look at all three of those other quarterbacks with your top group. Mm, That's pretty good. Or at least two of them. Yeah. I, I think, I think that's probably the case. I mean, I, I would imagine that Vedral probably will be with the lesser. <clears throat> I, I mean, then the question is: Is do you think that Vedral's going to look the best out of the four quarterbacks? Yes. Even with yes, because that defense, I don't think it's going to be that good. You don't think Nebraska's Uh-oh, current going to get into it again? Yeah. <laughs> Why aren't they going to be good, Mike? 
Uh, well, I think they're going to struggle. I think that I think that the line that it would be in front of Noah Vedral in that situation, <laughs> no, knowing who's likely with the threes, I think oh. that I think that Nebraska's top defense. Bo Wilson, John Raritan. I don't think that's going to be the line. They've been working with the threes. I don't think that's who it's going to be. Well, all right. We'll keep an eye on that. Maybe I got a new lunch bet here for the spring game. There will be, of course, a lot read into who goes out first with the number ones. But I do think you kind of have to take Scott Frost at his word where the other day he just said, hey, this is a long time coming till we have a decision here. This is – we're not in a – everybody on guard, they're going to announce this like next Wednesday who the starting quarterback is like it was last year. This is going to go into fall camp it seems like and – it might go all the way up till game week, the way he kind of presented it. So it might actually be a real competition this year? Yes, I would say that's completely accurate. <laughs> <laughs> Did, the, Unless they take a graduate transfer. The the part that's interesting to me, I mean, this kind of is tangential to the, the quarterback discussion, is how good that line's going to look. Because if that line doesn't look good, I, I mean, I don't care who's back there. I think they're going to struggle to move the ball even against Nebraska's subpar first-team defense. Um, so, uh, anyways, so I think that you know that that's going to be. A I mean, big, I heard it. Okay, that's what you were. I mean, you looked at me like I said something that was correct. I looked at you because I looked at you. Okay, I, mean, I wasn't revealing my thoughts because I mean, from from hearing Greg Austin talk, that the line has been a little hit or miss um, this spring, which you'd expect. I mean, that was a group that was mostly missed last year. Uh, maybe they're hitting a little bit more, but you know, if they're not able to move the ball on the ground, I could see where it's it's going to look kind of bad for for those quarterbacks, regardless of who's back there. Yeah, I mean. It's funny, every time a spring game approaches, the people are kind of inside it and cover it day-to-day, always bring up the O-line, like, watch this guy, you know, watch this left guard, see how he holds up. And, you know, like no, like 85 to 90% of the fan base is like, yeah, okay. You know, may, maybe they go in like, yeah, I'm going to pay attention to Brendan Hymas, <laughs> but that is not going to happen. Um, so, there, but there is going to be attention on Greg Bell, Jalen Bradley, um, Divino Zigbo, I think. I think those three running backs kind of, they're the ones we've heard the most about. And there's going to be a lot read into like who looks like they're most dynamic among those guys. And, and also if one of those guys makes that play that Ryan Held always talks about where it's like, it could be a five yard play, but he makes a guy miss and it's a 55 yard touchdown. If somebody can do that, that's your, that'll be like your headline of the spring along with the, whoever throws the highest completion percentage at quarterback <laughs> let me let me ask you this question um and I, i'm serious with it is there do you feel like there's any sort of obligation for frost and the staff to make the offense look good the first opportunity people i mean so you're saying that they would they would need to fix it because nebraska's defense is gonna be so good well no but what i'm saying is like do you do you purposely set things up in a way that you make your offense look good? Because if you're if you have a spring game where it's seven to six because the offensive line can't handle the interior pressure of the eighty five Chicago Bear Nebraska defensive line that they're gonna be throwing out there in waves. Should we start Saturday. calling Damian Daniels the fridge? <laughs> we could. A slimmed down version of the fridge. Yeah. 
Um, as noted by one Brian Christofferson yesterday yeah, at practice. Very, very svelte. 325 now. <laughs> so, uh, do you think there's any sort of anything behind that? Am I just grasping at straws? Because I would think that you're a new coach. Not new, but you're, you're new here. It's your first year. You're built on your offense. If you roll this thing out there and they're struggling to move the ball, is that like any? Does that matter to you at all? Would it be so? Because if this doesn't really matter in terms of evaluation, more so than anything else that you're doing. But the the flip side to that is, let's say Nebraska's offense comes out and just takes it to Nebraska's hapless first team defense. The conversation is going to be, oh, I mean, it was kind of this way after the Memphis game at UCF. Still, everybody's like, oh, I don't know about this Eric Chenander defense. They gave up a lot of points and yards. I'm coming know. off of a, what, 55-7 to seven game last year? I think people want offense for their spring game because they think that that's what's going to be more exciting for them to talk about. Well, I think, unless I'm misunderstanding how it's set up, I think they are setting it up for the first team to have success. I mean, yeah. Because they're all on one side is how he explained it. So, right. right, so it's not one versus so, one. Yeah, it may not even be ones versus two. So it could be – it could be – I heard some people saying, well, finally, you know, they're – but I think some people are not understanding it right. It, this isn't, I don't think, going to be ones v. ones. I think it is going to be like other coaches have done, where it's like ones versus threes and fours. And so what will be concerning, I guess, is if either side of the ones gets taken to town, you know, like whoever they're going against. Like if the ones defense just gets ripped apart by the... Vedrals just throwing all over yeah, the Yeah, by yard. the threes, you know, that... People will be like, eh, that's that's not going to be great to sleep on for four months. And then, you know, and I would caution people to do that. But that's, I realize how it goes. This is the only time they see him. And this is where perceptions are formed for four months. It's the reason why everybody thought Zach Darlington should be the starting quarterback one summer. You know, that was, I heard that all, that was like two or three years ago. We yeah. were talking about that. The the uh, the Noah Vedral um, waiver discussion will burn red hot if he comes out and throws all over the rest. I think he's going to have a pretty good game. Yeah. He's going to – not that he wouldn't be motivated otherwise, but I think it's just a little extra juice to be able to do this in Memorial Stadium. Juice. The only – yeah. The, the only opportunity to do it in front of a crowd unless this waiver that I don't believe is going to pass passes uh, for, you know, over a year. So I think it's going to really matter to him. Noah, just quickly to go to Noah, I'll tell you what, I when he first came here, I'll be honest, my first thought was like, well, that's nice. He's added like a, another body and that'll be good for him that they have that third guy. And he, he, it's kind of shifted my thinking from what I've heard and actually just seeing him up close and how he's changed his body and he's like 198 pounds now and he just, he looks like a formidable guy yeah. when you're standing next to him. And really my whole perception of him and like his possibilities in the offense has changed over yep. the course of the spring without even watching, <laughs> yep. without watching him take one snap. We're on the same exact page. I went from, oh, this guy's going to be really nice quarterback depth for him as they yeah. build the, this roster full of guys who want to run the Scott Frost offense to, man, if they had Noah Vedral next year, I'd be a lot more interested in the 2018 team than I already am. I feel bad for Noah, too, because... And I understand why you would apply for a waiver because right now you've got the advantage over everybody. Yep. And now he's got to sit there. And if one of those dudes 
picks up his game even if it takes till the second half of the season, but he finishes with a flourish, say Adrian Martinez or Tristan Jebby or Andrew Bunch, like goes the last three games of the year and looks really good, then it's tough it's tough sledding for Noah probably. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, absolutely. Not only that, but he's having to pay for his own school because UCF won't let him won't release him. So Got to feel bad for him. Jerk stores. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Do you get is he's a term jerk store ever? Like uh, in co- common. Probably once a week. Okay, oh, good. Definitely not that much. I use I'm, it at least once a week. Really? I say, oh, that guy was a real jerk store. Yeah, that jer- Schaefer was a real jerk store today. <laughs> jerk <laughs> I mean, stores I the line. You saying that once a week, but jerk stores the line. <laughs> jerk store. Well, Anyhow. Those are Seinfeld discussion for yeah. about 30 Slipped seconds Slipped it in there. quick. Anything else you guys are looking for in this hmm. game? Uh, game, not practice. Game. We, you mentioned it briefly, but I am really curious to see the, the kickoffs. Do we know, are they actually doing full special teams? Yeah. So On air. Yeah, that's a bummer. But uh, at least in terms of, of the place kicking, you know, I, I want to watch – Kind of how those guys do. To be honest, I'll probably be more interested in watching maybe before the game when they're actually out there kicking because I don't know how many opportunities they're going to have in this 7-6 to six game. I guess two field goals for somebody yeah. potentially. But uh, the kicking game is, is interesting to me. Obviously, Brian mentioned the running backs. And then there's some redshirt freshmen that you're going to see for the first time. You know, McQuitty could be kind of interesting. He's a guy that spoke on Tuesday that – I was kind of intrigued to, to hear what he had to say and how he feels like he fits in this offense and all of that sort of good stuff. So I, I'm interested to see him on the defensive side of the ball. We haven't really heard his name at all. I feel like this this spring, and people had really hoped he would maybe be a guy that could bring the pass rush. But have I missed it, or has Guy Thomas just not come up a whole lot? Not a lot. No, no, not unless he's been asked about. Yeah, and so that's it's usually not a great sign. Uh, not that you should read everything into that, but sometimes there is a a note to be had when a coach is volunteering the name versus right. being, reacting to it. I mean, at this point, if I were to just guess what's that outside backer spot look like, I would say Alex David. It, it looks like last year is what it looks like. It looks like Alex I think a Davis. lot of the team looks like last year. Yeah. You mean you just you got to change out Chris Weber for either Will Honus or Moberry, and Kalu's obviously gone, but he was injured half the season last year. So you probably got what Aaron Williams and Antonio Reed maybe on the That's back safety. end. Yep. Markel Dispuke is kind of in the mix. Jojo Doman's not here yet, so you don't know what he's got to say yep. about it. The guy I think people will want to keep an eye on, but you just don't know. Sometimes defensive backs kind of get taken out of this scrimmage a little bit where you can't tell if they're good or not based off of it. But Deontay Williams mm-hmm. is a guy, like, how do they line him up? You know, people will be curious about that. There is always, like, one guy on defense who's a starter who has a big day where you just can't help but it notice. It was Gifford last yeah. year. Yeah, and Gifford had had a really good spring, but I think some of the fan base was like, yeah, that's just, you know, media hyping up the Lincoln kid. And then he went out and he picked off that One-handed interception, one hand and forced a fumble. He was kind of setting the the stage for what he was going to be early on in the you season. you anticipate that it's going to be his job when he comes back? I think the staff really likes him, yeah. and they saw I, his tape last year, and they think that... Completely agree. Because like, they bring him up 
a lot. Like, even though he's not practicing. Yeah. 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 yeah, I think they just think, like, yeah, that's a kid we need this year. Mm-hmm. Is there I, – there's always kind of an MVP, I guess. Who, who's your guy's pick for – Who's gonna Who's gonna be the guy that people are gonna be talking about? So we're not doing the fantasy Sunday. draft that we discussed. Uh, no. Okay. I I didn't do my homework. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't either. Do. I wasn't ready. I didn't think about it until just this second. Yeah. So who's your Who's your predicted MVP of the spring game? No federal. No federal. Um, I'll do a, like an obvious pick, and then a, I think Tristan Jebbia is gonna will have a good day. And I'll bet Greg Bell makes a big play. But if I were to do, like, a not-as-obvious one, I would throw out, like, a Mike Williams maybe getting loose. Not like he'll have ten catches or anything, but I could see him having a few catches and one of them's, like, a 45-yard touchdown that gets people excited. I think, I'll go with Bell. That was my the guy I was thinking of. I think he's going to have a good game. Uh, I'll go with Mo Berry. I, I just feel like... He's going to make a couple plays that yeah, that's a good pick. people are going to notice. Do you have a non-obvious one? Hmm. Deep in thought. Yeah. I don't I don't really know who that would be. Um, I'm struggling with it, too. So there'll, be a wa- yeah. there'll be a walk-on who has, like, ten tackles. One, one name that I heard from some people that were at scrimmages, two different ones, and he came up twice, is, is Tyron Ferguson. Uh, uh, yeah. So, especially if he's working against maybe that third team, he could have a pretty nice day too. He's had a good spring, from what I've heard. Ben Stilley seems like the type of kid who'd have a nice spring game. You know, like he's gonna mm-hmm. he's gonna suit up and be like, "All right, let's let's do it." Is there a turnover? Yes. Yeah. Are there multiple turnovers? I'll say there's two turnovers. One of each, or two of. Uh, two total for the game. No, I mean like one interception, one fumble. Um, two picks. I think you'll see two picks. I think you'll see somebody wow. throw it in a in a bad spot. Travis Fisher is going to get it. So nearly one four for the way to what they did all of last season in the spring game. Mm-hmm. Travis Fisher would be pretty happy with two interceptions. Yeah, he says they need more of them. <laughs> yeah. Which I guess you can look at as good or Husker. I saw some Husker fans. So I was like, "Good, they're not throwing picks." Yeah. Of course, that was a story last year at this time. Remember, it's like, "Oh, the ball's not hitting the ground, and they're not throwing interceptions." <laughs> <laughs> not going to be a storyline this year. I don't know how accurate that was last year either, because we saw both Tanner and Patrick throw some picks during seven. It didn't on seven feel like stuff. he had a lot of picks. Tanner, not to the way that what unfolded last year is what you would have expected. You're right. Uh, Do we want to jump into a quick basketball discussion? Uh, I think we should. All right. Well, let's get to this quick basketball discussion. Uh, So Tim Miles gets his contract extension. Uh, Took a little bit longer, I think, than most people were expecting it to to take. Uh, In the last week, we've seen Xavier Johnson open his recruitment, Nebraska's top signee. Going to UConn. Uh, that seems to be a strong, strong uh, thing here. Uh, Miles gets the one-year extension, three years total left on the contract. Bill Moose with a uh, statement of support to Miles, grateful for the support, I guess. And uh, what does three years out, one-year extension tell us about Nebraska coming off of a 22-win season, 13 conference wins go? I'm going to – 
admit something and I want you to clear it up real quickly. Um, so he was on a two-year deal. Like he had two years left before this got signed, right? Correct. And now at this moment, he's at two he, still or he's at three? He has three now. Okay. So his contract is good through the trying to find it 21-22 season, I believe. Okay. Um I've slept on this and at first I was kind of in that camp of Excuse me. Right? He's now under contract through the 2021 season. So 18-19. Okay, so he's got 3 years. Yeah. All right. Math is hard. Yeah, for it me. is. It is very hard for me. Um I don't know. I, when it first came out, I was kind of in that camp where I thought, like, you got to either either he's not your coach or you're all in on him and he's got, like, that five-year deal. We are kind of an off-the-air discussion, which I actually agree with. I think the idea that um, coaches effectively use that, oh, he's only got three years on his contract is a little overcooked sometimes. Yeah. And honestly... If his biggest recruiting job for this year is to keep everybody in house that he already has, that's the biggest thing he has. Because what it comes down to is, it feels like he's got like a one year audition now for real with Bill Moose. Like we didn't know how Bill Moose was evaluating him last year, and it turns out Miles did just good enough where Moose is like, "Yeah, hey, I want to see one more year of it." And so I don't mind that they didn't throw like extra money, which. By the way, a year from now, everybody would be critical of if they fire him, and they'll be like, "Well, why'd you give him a three-year extension?" Then you know, all these all these people are mad. We, about we watched this play out. I mean, Doc Sadler took Nebraska to the NIT uh, after a year that some people thought they were a fringe NTA team. He got that big extension from Tom Osborne. He was fired the next year when they were bad. We, we, yeah, very similar to me in in what those the teams aren't similar exactly, but situations are. He needs to get. Palmer, Copeland, maybe, coming back. Roby. Roby. And he needs to get to the NCAA tournament. And then if he can do that, I would have to think Bill Moose in that case would have to say, okay, we're going to give you at least like a two-year extension next year that puts you at four or something like that. And the conversation kind of subsides for a little bit. So I, I, it could impact some recruiting outside of the program, but I don't think that's what's most important right now. Basically, what it comes down to is you need to decide, is Tim Miles the guy for this program? And what they've done is they have kicked it down the road another year. Mm -hmm. And let's say you get Copeland and you get Palmer back, which I would tend to say that as of right now, I expect that to happen, I think. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Um, Assuming you get those guys back, you've got Roby back, you've got a pretty good group that you can build around there. Um, let's say Nebraska takes a little bit of a step back wins-wise against a tougher Big Ten schedule next season. You finish 18 wins, 17 wins overall, um, maybe competitive, uh, in maybe in the bubble talk for a little bit. You're, you're kind of at the same place again, but you're having to make that bet, assuming that those guys come back, without with, with like another roster reset where Copeland's going to be gone Palmer's going to be gone. Um, Glenn Watson's going to be gone at that point, too, um, where you're kind of in the same place where you are now with these two years that may not tell you a ton about the forward direction of the program, but you know it, it's 
I get why Bill Moose did what he did, but I think I, I don't know that it clarifies his decision at all next year either. Because I, I think you're right, but with the one year extension, you've basically you know have to decide next year. Okay, is this your guy or not? I think Moose is a practical guy, and he looked at it as, you know, this is a sub, it's somewhat subjective. I mean, they they won 13 games in conference, and if a right if a certain committee looks at it a certain way in certain years they're in the dance and we're not even having this and everybody's just gaga that Tim Miles got him in the dance i think you you have to look at it from that angle too and say they actually had the type of season where you know it it exceeded everybody's expectations back in november so i got to at least give this guy one more year with this nucleus and see what he does and if he can't get to the tournament next year, I didn't like this discussion last year as much, but I do think it's to that point now where it feels like you're either in the tournament and you're hanging around or you're not, and you're not. I think it might be that simple. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm with parts of what both of you guys have said. I definitely agree with Brian, and I've been beating the drum on this. I don't buy the idea that recruits care about the size of the contract, at least lengthwise for – a coach, especially you look at Tim Miles. I mean, four-year players are pretty rare around Nebraska basketball. He makes his bones off of getting transfer players who are here for a year, a year or two um, after they sit out a year. So to them, it's not going to matter because they're already on a shortened time period as it is anyways. And I agree with Brunts that I have a lot of hesitation about what are you going to learn with this group that comes back for the long-term future and sustainability of your basketball program. Because even if they go on a run, let's say they go 25 and 8 or something and just have a phenomenal season, maybe the best that we've seen around here in a long, long, long time, for some of us the best in our lifetime, what does it mean when none of those guys come back and your team is basically staring down the barrel of going 10 and 21 immediately after that? Do you still feel good about the long-term future of your program when you don't have any I, I just don't see, and I haven't seen, for years, sustainability. And that's not going to be something you can answer in this one-year run, even if the guys come back and even if they do really well, which is why I think it ultimately sets up in a situation where I would bet against Tim Miles being the coach of Nebraska the following season, not because he's going to get fired, but I could see him job-popping at that point. Because if you're... You do really well, and I think they have the chance to do really well. You're probably going to be looking for your next option rather than, okay, they're bringing me back on a two-year deal, and I have, you know, Roby's probably going to be gone. I mean, what what would you even have? They're the most ultimate one-year team if those guys come back. If they go 25-8 and eight next year, um, I mean, I could see – you know, Tim Miles getting attention from other programs. I think at the same time, though, you know, that would be – you probably got to go down, extend, you know, multi-year extension. Oh, yeah. I mean, you certainly – you make that play. But then think about it long-term. That whole team is going to be gone. Right. And you already lost your best recruit in Xavier Johnson. You long-term don't have a whole lot in the in the hopper. I mean, I think one of the things I'm waiting to see what they're able to do is who the next transfer players are that they're going to try to build up with. Because I don't see any four-year guys outside of Thomas Allen that excite me beyond 
what they're going to be losing in Isaiah Roby. I, I don't anticipate he's going to have a senior year if he has the sort of jump that we expect from him. But this is all, I mean, this is all best-case scenario, too. There's also the version of this that goes a lot like 2014-15. I, I could just, I, I think a scenario that I kind of laid out where you're looking at like a 16, 17, 18 win To me, team, that's the worst possible. That, that, I mean, that's that's yeah. probably most realistic, yeah. though, depending on how the well, conference schedule program. breaks. Yeah. I would guess it's game over if that's the case. Yeah, I think it has to be. Yeah. I mean, that because that happened with a pretty good experienced group of guys, too, whether the conference is stronger or not. Nebraska should be a team that it says, like, okay, we're stronger this year, too, because you got a year of experience with these guys and – and all I mean, that. There's, there's preseason buzz, if you will, that have them in the field of 68 already. So this isn't like a team that's supposed to sneak up on anybody. Nebraska basketball is the weirdest thing ever because you have <laughs> basically a guy who's on the hot seat, and yet within one brilliant year, or just like getting in and having one great night in the NCAA tournament where you win a game and people get to put Nebraska on their bracket – and move them forward for the first time in their life, you go from hot seat to something that has never been done in the program, just like that. And that, that's what makes it so complicated is, you know, you, you could that, – that group of guys would go down as, like, legendary like in Nebraska basketball history if they won a tournament game. And yet they're talking about maybe firing the coach this year or should he get extended, you know. It's, it's that kind of weird line. It's funny that – during the NCAA tournament, I was kind of looking at, you know, if, if there was a program that's similar to Nebraska basketball in, in like 10 miles' as tenure uh, at Nebraska. And Clemson was kind of along those same lines where, you know, you've got a basketball coach, and, and Brad, Brad Brown, Brownell, Brownell yeah. uh, that had pretty much been on the hot seat for a lot of his tenure um, at Clemson. There was some question about whether or not he was going to be kept around. I want to say he was finished up his eighth year. So he goes and, and from 2014-15 on, he goes 16-15, and 17-14, and 17-16, makes the NIT, loses in the first round, comes back with an experienced team last year, goes 25-10, and 11-7 and in the ACC, and they make it to the Sweet 16. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the thing that's always funny to me about basketball is how quickly things can flip like that. And it hasn't ever happened at Nebraska whenever they've had the opportunity to do it. But I mean, let's say you come, you get your main guys back next year. I mean, it's not inconceivable where you could see Nebraska get into the tournament and be pretty dangerous when they get there with that group. Mm. I mean, that's again, that's all conjecture and and whatever, but and whatever people think of miles as a coach and his in-game stuff or anything, it, the whole discussion is completely different then. I mean, right? He, the public perception of him is like, oh, he did something nobody's ever done. You know? I don't know. It's Husker Hoops is a fascinating little fella. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, what are we at time-wise here? Well, we're doing all right. You need some recruiting talk? Is it time yeah, for we some, can, some, we can get recruit- some talk? recruiting really quick? Nebraska hosted... Uh, Nick Enrich, uh, linebacker from Omaha Burke, here this past Tuesday. Four-star linebacker. They actually stopped off to see him again Wednesday. Uh, Barrett Rood was making visits because Nebraska's coaches can go on the road, even though they have to finish up their 
their season. So uh, good good use of time by them. I, I had posed that question to Brunts off the podcast as to whether we would see anything like that, and we weren't entirely sure, and I think it was pretty smart play in their regard. It was a big visit. I, I would argue that he's the number one target for Nebraska in the 2019 class, in part because of what it looks like from a public relations standpoint in your state, in part because it would be a pretty big fill of need and in part because he's a pretty special player and I think that you don't want to lose him anywhere else in the Big Ten and I think right now the team to beat is Notre Dame and I think if Nebraska keeps pushing he obviously has a great relationship with Barrett Rude I mean that was the takeaway I had from talking with him after his visit he thinks Rude's an amazing coach Rude's the kind of coach that he wants to play for Rude has the kind of career that he wants to have Nebraska just has to go to that well as much as they possibly can. I don't know what the hurdle is that they have to clear, but it's certainly not the staff. It's certainly not proximity. It's certainly not opportunity. It's just ultimately going to be presenting him that this is the best option to get you from where you are to where you want to go. And Barrett Root is the single best example anybody can show him of that. It's, I mean, it's time, right? I mean, that's basically what they're yeah. trying to overcome. But I don't – so – what I don't know is I keep seeing these things where his coach is, and not him so much, but his coach has kind of talked about, yeah, he's going to pare some things down and he might be looking at a decision. Well, the sooner the decision gets made, the worse off it is for Nebraska. So they are playing the long game here, like you said. And if they can push this kid off to late summer, they got a better opportunity. If it goes into the fall, I feel like they've got a really good opportunity. But if he wants to make a decision by the end of May – I don't know if Nebraska is going to be that team, even if they check all of the boxes, to use the, the phrase that we say a lot on the, the podcast. And it's just kind of an interesting situation. So, I mean, it's a big recruiting week. They, they've had visitors in all spring. I laid out the list in the VIP room, and it's actually a pretty impressive list of, of the various people they've had in. And they're going to have you know more people coming in this weekend, John Bivens, uh, it's going to be here. You're going to have Thomas Grayson back. You're going to have Mosai Newsom back. You're going to have, uh, I want to say, another defensive end. I'd have to look at what we, we've we actually got confirmed is coming in. But it's going to be another solid visit weekend. It's not going to be as star-studded as what we've seen in previous years. So people might be a little disappointed in that regard. Maybe not. Maybe that'll you know cure some of the off-season hype conversation. Uh, but... I, I do think that this staff has done a nice job in slowly just bringing along recruits. I mean, they've had people every week since they've come back from spring break. I think that's a really good sign. Is there anybody else that they have? I mean, we've, Luke McCaffrey was in. The guys that they've hosted between, I guess, now and going back to the start of spring, who was probably, besides Henrik, who was probably the, the most important guy for their 19 class, do you think? Uh... I mean, I don't know if it's because I have a pretty good relationship with the family, but Marcus Hicks is always one that really interests me because he's a really talented player in the proximity, in the 500-mile radius. At the same time, the kid from Colorado, I think it's Isaac Townsend, if I have that right, he's really interesting because, I mean, it's six foot seven. Uh, he looks pretty physically imposing. You build him up as sort of a build-your-own defensive end. And it might take him a little bit to really fill out that frame, but he's got a frame that you can 
you could get him to 270, and he probably looks pretty similar to what he would look if he was 240. Um, but he'd still have the the athleticism and the strength to go with it. He's someone that intrigues me. Obviously, Luke McCaffrey, that whole conversation. Quarterbacks are always interesting. Chris Hickman's interesting on a slightly different scale than than his teammate, Braden Lebrock. Ty Robinson, uh, the defensive lineman whose name I was forgetting, he's coming back from Arizona. That's a four-star kid with offers from Alabama, USC, I want to say Georgia, a couple other SEC schools. So there's a lot of talent there, and it's a family that grew up Nebraska fans. So that would be sort of the kid that you're looking at that could be you attached. You know, this staff was able to go out and get that, and you kind of build around it. But they're in a situation, and I can save this for when we have more time or I can write about it or whatever, but they've got three in-state kids committed that are all looking like defensive players. Then they have a host of these other defensive players that play similar positions that they also like around the region. And it makes me wonder when they hit that numbers crunch. Because if you take an Isaac Townsend, because I think Brunch, you feel like he could be maybe closer to making a decision? Uh, he wants to make a, a decision before his senior year. Yeah, so you got a three-, four-month window there that usually when they say that, it's probably half that time. So by July, I bet he's committed. So then you have Newsom who could commit as early as this weekend because it'll be his third time at Nebraska in a month. So you have these visitors, and they both play defensive end. Then you have Garrett Nelson, who I don't know if he's a defensive end or an outside linebacker for this staff. And then you have Garrett Snodgrass, who I don't know if he's a tight end, a defensive end, or an outside linebacker for this staff. You have Marcus Hicks, who's an outside linebacker but could also be a defensive end. You just have all of these different people. Ethan Piper thinks he's a defensive end, even though I think he probably ends up as a nose tackle. Uh, so they've, they've got a really interesting dynamic where – I'll be curious if they're – we've talked about this. They don't think about positions as much as we talk about it. Is that going to show out more so on the defensive side of the ball this year than what we saw offensively when it felt like they were taking every receiver and tight end that came through the the visit process? What would you guess is the number of commits or close to that they will have when they kick off against Akron? When they, they kick off when? The season. Oh, um, the Akron game? Uh, they're at four now. I bet they get to double digits by the time the season starts, but probably not past 12, so put me in that 10 to 12 range. Okay. Um, and to be honest, they it might be a slow build. To even I don't expect they're going to have more than a commitment over the weekend. So you could be looking at an April where you get two guys that commit – and that's kind of a slow April for a program that recently, in recent years, and even going back to 2011 and, and previous really good years, you get three, four, five commitments between April and May. It could be kind of slow for Nebraska. Mm-hmm. And if they have a summer thing like previous staffs have done, whether it's Big Red Weekend or Friday Night Lights or a combination of the two, you'll see some commitments there. I just I don't anticipate like that three-week stretch where you've got five commitments. I don't think that's going to come out of this staff until you get either into the season or what I think they're really are aiming for, October, November, December. They're going to make their living. Yeah, Frost, the way he talked last week about this, he wants, he wants guys on solid ground. I mean, that sounds like obvious to say, but I don't think this staff wants to play that game. of. I don't. If you want to take visits, I don't think they're going to want to take your commitment. Mm-hmm. And I, you can you can do that. You can say that. 
Can you practice it in 2018? I don't question. know. Yeah. But based on the conversations I've had with assistant coaches, their concept of, you know, when you're committed, you're in. And if you're not, they're going to look at you differently than everybody mm-hmm. else. Based sort of how, that's how Iowa's kind of done it. Yeah. You know, it's a similar, similar deal. Yeah. Nebraska is like Iowa is what. Brian saying yeah. <laughs> don't put that on me. <laughs> Nebraska and Scott Frost recruits like the Ferentz. All boys. right. Did I hear you say that Scott Frost is a young Kirk Ferentz? <laughs> In that he drives the ladies wild yeah. in his home state? He is a, I heard that one time, okay? <laughs> like I was at Big Ten Media Days five years ago, and I heard that like back in the day, Kirk Ferentz was like a sex symbol in the state of Iowa. It really caught me off guard. I'd buy it. I'd buy it. And I like to pass that it on. It catches as me know. off guard every time you retell it. <laughs> as I like to pass it on to a lot of people and let them know that. Well, we're going to finish with <laughs> Kirk Ferentz being a sex symbol as the conclusion, I think, of this podcast. Unless, do we have a spoken word? I got one if you want it. Well, we but won't then finish before that. <laughs> and I know this is some people's favorite and least favorite part of the podcast. Should I go? Which is what makes it great. Should I go quicker then? You think I need to quicken up my no. pace? Nope. I think you need to do you. Stop what you're doing. Because I'm about to ruin the image and the style that you used to. I look funny. But yo, I'm making money. See, yo, so yo, world, I hope you're ready for me. Now gather round. I'm the new fool in town. And my sound's laid down by the underground. I drink up all the Hennessy, yeah. Got on your shelf, so just let me introduce myself. My name is Humpty. Pronounced with a umpty. Very That's nice. Humpty hump. Well done. Wow. Digital underground. Yeah. Wow. Wasn't like, he connected to Tupac a little bit? Like, wasn't he one of Tupac's like buddies? I don't know. I think I'll research that for next week. I know people are dying to know. That'd be good. That would be <laughs> a good thing to kick off next week's podcast. Yeah. But you know what, guys? <laughs> what? You're not gonna have to wait until next week to hear this podcast. Really, Mike? Or the crew? Yeah. We got some breaking news, which we don't have a breaking news sounder. But if we did, it would be playing. Do 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 do. Or we have so that. you're saying that people want more podcasts. We're hearing that we, <laughs> All can, the we can stand to talk more often than we do, which has generally only been once a week. But now, we're going to bring you the uh, Husker 24-7 Hypecast, which will run on Saturday morning, previewing the big game. Game. The game. So we'll have more discussion about the spring game, possibly some recruiting talk. Maybe we'll have draft a roster we don't know we haven't put the format together (laughs) but we know you're going to want to listen to it and you can catch it saturday morning before nebraska plays at 11 a.m